The French Revolution, A History, by Thomas Carlyle, Volume 3, The Guillotine, Book 7, Vendémier, Chapter 2, La Cabarou. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Peter Dan. Book 7, Chapter 2, La Cabarou. How, above all, shall a poor national convention withstand it? In this poor national convention, broken, bewildered by long terror, perturbations and guillotinement, there is no pilot, there is not even a Danton who could undertake to steer you anywhither in such press of weather. The utmost a bewildered convention can do is to veer and trim and try to keep itself steady and rush undrowned before the wind. Needless to struggle, to fling helm a lee and make bout ship, a bewildered convention sails not in the teeth of the wind, but is rapidly blown round again. So strong is the wind, we say, and so changed, blowing fresher and fresher as from the sweet south-west, your devastating north-easters and wild tornado gusts of terror blown utterly out. All sans-colotic things are passing away. All things are becoming colotic. Do but look at the cut of clothes, that light visible result significant of a thousand things which are not so visible. In winter, 1793, men went in red nightcaps. Municipals themselves, in sabots, the very citoyenne had to petition against such headgear. But now, in this winter 1794, where is the red nightcap? With the thing beyond the flood. Your moneyed citoyen ponders in what elegantest style he shall dress himself, whether he shall not even dress himself as the free peoples of antiquity. The more adventurous citoyenne has already done it. Behold her, that beautiful adventurous citoyenne, in costume of the ancient Greeks, such Greek as painted David could teach, her sweeping tresses snooded by glittering antique fillet, bright-eyed tunic of the Greek women, her little feet naked as in antique statues, with mere sandals and winding strings of riband, defying the frost. There is such an effervescence of luxury. For your emigrancy devants carried not their mansions and furniture out of the country with them, but left them standing here, and in the swift changes of property, what with money coined on the Place de la Révolution, what with army furnishings, sales of emigrant domain and church lands and king's lands, and then with the Aladdin's lamp of Agio in a time of paper money, such mansions have found new occupants. Old wine drawn from sea-devant bottles descends new throats. Paris has swept herself, relighted herself. Salons, supers not fraternal, beam once more with suitable effulgence, very singular in colour. The fair Cabarou is come out of prison, wedded to her red gloomy dis, whom they say she treats too loftily. Fair Cabarou gives the most brilliant soirees. Round her is gathered a new republican army of citoyennes in sandals, ci-devant or other, what remnants however of the old grace survive, are rallied there. At her right hand in this cause labours fair Josephine, the widow Beauharnais, though in straitened circumstances, intent, both of them, to blandish down the grimness of republican austerity and re-civilise mankind. 
re-civilise, as of old they were civilised, by witchery of the Orphic fiddle-bow and Euterpian rhythm, by the graces, by the smiles. Thermidorian deputies are there in those soirees, editor Freyron, orator de Peuple, Barra, who has known other dancers than the Carmagnol, Grim generals of the Republic are there in enormous horse-collar neckcloth, good against sabre-cuts, the hair gathered all into one knot, flowing down behind, fixed with a comb. Among which latter do we not recognise once more the little bronzed-complexioned artillery officer of Toulon, home from the Italian wars? Grim enough, of lean, almost cruel aspect, for he has been in trouble, in ill health, also in ill favour as a man promoted, deservingly or not, by the terrorists and Robespierre Jr. But does not Barra know him? Will not Barra speak a word for him? Yes, if at any time it will serve Barra so to do. Somewhat forlorn of fortune for the present stands that artillery officer, looks with those deep earnest eyes of his into a future as waste as the most. Taciturn, yet with the strangest utterances in him, if you awaken him, which smite home like light or lightning. On the whole, rather dangerous? A dissociable man? Dissociable enough, a natural terror and horror to all phantasms being himself of the genus reality. He stands here, without work or outlook, in this forsaken manner, glances nevertheless, it would seem, at the kind glance of Josephine Beauharnais, and for the rest with severe countenance, with open eyes and closed lips, waits what will betide. That the balls, therefore, have a new figure this winter, we can see. Not Carmagnols, rude whirlblasts of rage, as Mercier called them, precursors of storm and destruction. No, soft ionic motions, fit for the light sandal and antique Grecian tunic. Efflorescence of luxury has come out, for men have wealth. Nay, new got wealth, and under the terror you durst not dance except in rags. Among the innumerable kinds of balls, let the hasty reader mark only this single one, the kind they call victim balls, balls à victime. The dancers in choice costume have all crepe round the left arm. To be admitted, it needs that you be a victim, that you have lost a relative under the terror. Peace to the dead. Let us dance to their memory. For in all ways one must dance. It is very remarkable, according to Mercier, under what varieties of figure this great business of dancing goes on. The women, says he, are nymphs, sultanas, sometimes Minervas, Junos, even Dianas. In light, unerring gyrations they swim there with such earnestness of purpose, with perfect silence, so absorbed are they. What is singular, continues he, the onlookers are, as it were, mingled with the dancers, form, as it were, a circumambient element round the different contra-dancers, yet without deranging them. It is rare, in fact, that a sultana in such circumstances experience the smallest collision. Her pretty foot darts down an inch from mine, she is off again, she is as a flash of light, but soon the measure recalls her to the point she set out from. Like a glittering comet she travels her eclipse, revolving on herself as by double effect of gravitation and attraction. 
Looking forward a little way into time, the same Mercier discerns merveilleuses as in flesh-coloured drawers with gold circlets, mere dancing houris of an artificial Mohammed's paradise, much too Mohammedan. Montgaillard, with his splenetic eye, notes a no less strange thing, that every fashionable citoyenne you meet is in an interesting situation. Good heavens, every... Mere pillows and stuffing, adds the acrid man, such in a time of depopulation by war and guillotine being the fashion. No further seek its merits to disclose. Behold also, instead of the old grim tapdures of Robespierre, what new street groups are these? Young men habited not in black shag Carmagnol Spencer, but in superfine habit carré or Spencer with rectangular tail appended to it, square-tailed coat with elegant anti-guillotinish specialty of collar, the hair plaited at the temples and knotted back, long-flowing in military wise, young men of what they call the muscadin or dandy species. Freron, in his fondness, names them jeunesse dorée, golden or gilt youth. They have come out, these gilt youths, in a kind of resuscitated state. They wear crepe round the left arm, such of them as were victims. More, they carry clubs loaded with lead. In an angry manner, any tapdure or remnant of Jacobinism they may fall out with shall fare the worse. They have suffered much, their friends guillotined, their pleasures, frolics, superfine collars ruthlessly repressed. Where now the base red nightcaps who did it? Fair Cabarou and the army of Greek sandals smile approval. In the Théâtre Fédo, young valour in square-tailed coat eyes beauty in Greek sandals and kindles by her glances. Down with Jacobinism. No Jacobin hymn or demonstration, only Thermidorian ones shall be permitted here. We beat down Jacobinism with clubs loaded with lead. But let anyone who has examined the dandy nature, how petulant it is, especially in the gregarious state, think what an element in sacred rite of insurrection this guilt youth was. Broils and battery, war without truce or measure. Hateful is sanscalotism as death and night. For indeed, is not the dandy calotic habilitary by law of existence a cloth animal one that lives, moves, and has his being in cloth. So goes it, waltzing, bickering, fair cabaru by Orphic witchery struggling to re-civilise mankind. Not unsuccessfully, we hear. What utmost republican grimness can resist Greek sandals in ionic motion, the very toes covered with gold rings? By degrees, the indisputablest new politeness rises, grows with vigour. And yet, whether even to this day that inexpressible tone of society known under the old kings, when sin had lost all its deformity, with or without advantage to us, and airy nothing had obtained such a local habitation and establishment as she never had, be recovered? Or even whether it be not lost beyond recovery? Either way, the world must contrive to struggle on. End of Book 7, Chapter 2